Good day, listeners. This is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting today from a hot and sunny day here in West Kelowna, British Columbia. In today's program, we continue our series on the conservation of humanity, exploring the Wuhan flu pandemic, and specifically exploring the mRNA vaccines, dissecting what they really are, their potential risks and side effects, and whether they provide any benefits to the individual taking them or to the population at large. On the program, we welcome back Dr. Stephanie Seneff, a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. Dr. Seneff received her BSc degree in biophysics, an MSc in electrical engineering degree, and a PhD degree in electrical engineering and computer science, all from MIT. For over three decades, her research interests have always been at the intersection of biology and computation. She has published over 170 refereed articles and has been invited to give keynote speeches at several international conferences. For the last 12 years, she has worked to try and understand the role of toxic chemicals in the deterioration of human health. Dr. Seneff has published over two dozen papers in various medical and health-related journals on topics such as modern-day diseases, such as Alzheimer's, autism, cardiovascular diseases, and the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health. Dr. Seneff, it's a pleasure to host you once again. Thank you so much for your time, and welcome back to the show. So glad to be here. Thank you. Very well. And I understand you've got a new book uh, coming out. When is, uh, yes. when, when is that coming out and what's the title? Here it is. I have almost the only copy right now, but it's going to be out uh, July 1st. So coming right up, it's called Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. All right. Fantastic. Uh-huh. And that, that's the uh, Amazon availability? or Yes, it's available on lots of booksellers. You can look at stephaniesaniff.net, my webpage, slash book and you can see uh, links to all the different web various booksellers that offer it for sale starting Fantastic. July 1st but you can pre-order well, it now but well that's great my, my birthday's coming up in July so maybe I'll request an autographed copy <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs> well that's excellent so uh since we last spoke in October uh what has occupied your time and your research endeavors uh, since then Oh, gosh, I've really been uh, involved with the COVID-19 fiasco, trying to understand what's really going on, and uh, particularly got very concerned about the vaccines when I sort of saw this Operation Warp Speed and all this eagerness to get these vaccines rolled out very quickly. Um, I became aware of this mRNA technology, and I started to really do a deep dive into the research literature to try to figure out what these things are. Um, I collaborated with Dr. Greg Nye, and the two of us published a paper so I was working very hard January, December, January, February, March on the, on this paper, reading up on the technology and on the vaccines and on the implications and then on prion diseases. I mean, I really got into a huge space uh, once I realized the significance of the possibilities of what these injections could be doing to us. And I think it's really quite terrifying. Uh, so I'm extremely concerned about it, especially for the children. I'm so upset that they've allowed 12-year-olds to get vaccinated and this has affected my grandchildren personally and uh-huh. now i'm very worried they're going to bring it down to five years old or zero years old i mean it looks like they're moving in that direction although i have to say i just heard this morning the cdc has come out formally and said that they decided they're recommending that it's not uh, it, it doesn't make sense to vaccinate uh, children under 12 at this time so i'm hoping We'll keep it at bay um, against, I just can't stand the thought of these young kids getting this vaccine. It's so stupid because they have zero risk for COVID-19. It's cannot, you cannot argue that the risk benefit ratio makes sense in the, in the case of these children. 
No, not at all. And of course, the WHO's uh, guidelines also are... They, oh, who, sorry, CDC. Did I say WHO? Uh, CDC. Well, I think the, 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 you said Uh-oh. CDC, but I believe I oh, saw okay. the WHO had said the same thing. And of oh, course, oh, good. Here oh, in Canada, uh, whether you followed the news or not, um, you know we have our public health agencies now coercing children as young as the age of 12 to get these vaccines yes, without, without parental consent. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, and they're offering ice cream and... and you know, I it's, know. It's, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so unbelievable. I, I feel like I live in a, um, a nightmare. I mean, it's just like it's surreal. You, you, can't, you can't believe this is actually happening. And every day it gets worse and worse. And I keep thinking, where is the end? The end there's no end in sight. And of course, all the uh, suppression of the information about the damage these vaccines are doing. Tremendous suppression of information. Even yes. from people who are completely you know, legitimate people. I mean, it's not like these are fly-by-night, you know, conspiracy theorists that are that are sounding the alarm. These are professionals. Even the guy, you know, Bob Malone, who uh, I, he, he sent me a link to his paper from like the 1980s where he was already starting to work on messenger RNA technology. He is one of the original, you know, leaders in that space and he is coming out against the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a wonderful video with uh, a three-hour video with a, uh, Dr. Malone and um, Steve Kirsch, who's a, um, a, a MIT grad, you know, tech guy who um, has also gotten really, really worried about the vaccines. Neither one of them can at all be called an anti-vaxxer. And they had they did an incredible interview with with this doctor, um, Bert Weinstein. I don't know if okay. you saw that, but it was amazing. No, I haven't seen course, that one. I watched the whole thing. I don't usually watch videos. It was three hours and my husband and I watched it two nights in a row to get through it. Fantastic. And um and I was so, so delighted. And of course, YouTube took it down. I mean, it's just amazing that they just take these things down. There's no reason for it. There's absolutely no legitimacy in taking it down when it's these authoritarian experts who are saying this stuff is bad. Yeah. And of course, now we have uh, Dr. Peter McCullough out of Texas, yes. who's, you know, one of the preeminent uh, medical doctors in his field, kidney and heart, who's, you know, now going one step further that's saying this is a Gates Foundation depopulation bioterror weapon. And, you know, when, when somebody who has so much to lose comes out and says that, and who is also such an authority on the subject, I mean, you right. you take your own life at uh, at your own peril, not to listen to these individuals. Right. And I'm so glad that he came forward because you know, most people are terrified of losing their job and whatnot, ruining their career. I mean, these are what can happen if you step out of line. I think he felt he was so strong uh, that he could get by with it. And I'm hoping it's true. I mean, I really love what he's saying. And, and he, yeah. it was, and of course, the ivermectin, you know, how all of this, there are plenty of ways to treat COVID that are going to keep you from get from dying, I believe. Yes. I think we would have had a much lower death rate if people had used these, you know, these even just nutritional supplements like zinc and vitamin D, you know, and ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, all these old drugs that um, are working and people are trying to get that message out and it's being censored. I mean, it's so strange. We live in really, really strange times. It sure is. Dystopian. And, and, dystopian. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I've actually got uh, Peter coming on the show uh, next uh, next Tuesday, actually. So Excellent. You, That's fantastic. You've got, if you've got any questions that you want to ask him, uh, send them to me an email and I'll, I'll <laughs> forward them. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's speaking out. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I mean, I will say that it seems like more of the uh, the gray and white haired crowd is is uh, putting their their necks out. I had uh, uh, Roger Hodkinson on the program uh, last week, and you know, he's a Cambridge educated pathologist, and he is like 
stark raving mad at what he sees going on, uh, particularly with the application of these vaccines to children. Uh, this I is an ex- this is an experimental product. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Yeah, and and got a, if this was something like Ebola, where we had a you know piles and piles of bodies right. and thirty percent of the population was gone. Now sure. maybe we have a, a reason to be concerned, but with right. this, it's just simply I don't I don't see the the hysteria which is predicating having such a uh, radical intervention. Yeah, I mean it's amazing how successful they were at instilling fear in so many people in the population. We're just so relieved to have something that could fight this thing, and it, it's been built up to be such a monster. But when you see that children are basically, I mean, it's like a cold to them at, at worst. I think no, yeah. really, very very few deaths among children, extremely small. Yeah. And um, and to think that I'm really, really glad about that. I mean, it looks like it, it basically kills people in the appropriate distribution of death, as you would expect for normal dying. Right. You know, basically yes. kills mostly people who are close to death because they're very old and sick. Yes. And that's very polite of it, actually. I think that's a very polite thing for a vaccine for a virus to do. Sure. And we should be very uh, honored that it. It isn't affecting, you know, most people under 65 are perfectly fine. Yeah. I'm not worried about it because I feel like I have a very healthy lifestyle and I have a strong immune system. The virus doesn't frighten me at all, but the vaccine does. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that should be a wake up call for everyone. However, I think given the fear and all these other, uh, all the other propaganda, people are forgetting this, that the, the real take home message here is you need to be accountable for your, your own health. You know, yes. you cannot, you cannot outsource that to a doctor and a prescription pad. You know, if you're eating poor quality food, that's loaded with toxic chemicals on a daily basis and, and not exercising, not keeping your mental health in check, your body will fail you. And and this is a good example of it. And I, and unfortunately, I don't think that message has been drilled home. Right. And of course, in my book here, Toxic Legacy, I have a whole chapter on glyphosate and the immune system. It's really fascinating stuff that I've figured out how glyphosate is disrupting immune function, especially innate immunity. <clears throat> so people have a wrecked innate immune system, not just from glyphosate, but there's lots and lots of chemicals that are disrupting our immune system, which makes them... Um, what happens is that when the virus infects the lungs, the immune system can't control it. It starts reproducing and uh, the uh, adaptive mis- uh, immune system has to come in to help control things. And that's when you get the release of all these um, cytokines, all these very toxic um, molecules that are um, damaging the tissue. And you get uh, this extreme inflammation and, and this um, uptake of water into the lungs. So you get fluid in the lungs and you can't breathe, you know, you get low oxygen. The whole cascade is a consequence of an overzealous adaptive immune system. Um, and the reason is because the innate immune system is too weak to fight off the virus. Yeah. yeah. That is because of glyphosate and other toxic chemicals in the environment. Yeah. Let, let's, let's save that specific discussion for our last segment. Uh, I do, do want to get into that. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you're stating for the record that you're not afraid of uh, the, the COVID virus because you're taking care of yourself. I think that's a, a powerful message for people to take home. And, and I will say for the listeners at home who can't see you, you are one of the, uh, the white haired <laughs> crew. So that's <laughs> right. I'm in the you, age group that uh, should be watching out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So would I be correct in labeling this entire COVID fiasco uh, as a case-demic fueled by an inaccurate laboratory procedure known as the RT-PCR test? I think you would be correct, yes. And I think that it, it's, um, I actually do now believe it's an agenda. Like, I know this messenger RNA technology, from reading all that I've read, is something they have been extremely excited about. I mean, they, you know, pharma's not having a good time right now. You know, the um, 
antibiotics aren't working and they can't come up with new drugs. You know, the, the new drugs are just lookalikes from the old drugs. They can't get new patents. They, their patents are running out. So they're hurting. Pharma's looking for something big. And and they believe that this messenger RNA technology could be that big thing. And they had a huge hurdle because you couldn't get it past, you know, evaluation. It would flunk. It was so difficult. And so by rigging up this, you know, emergency situation and using that emergency law, and you had to make sure that there was no way to cure this virus. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an emergency. So now you've got to suppress all these methods that are working quite well to cure the virus. You know, make sure people don't know about that. Make sure people believe that nothing, there's nothing that you can do besides this vaccine and then offer the vaccine and say, thank God, now we have our salvation. And so many people bought it. That's just incredible to me how, you know, I, I know people who were so eager, wanted to cut the line even to just couldn't wait to get that vaccine into their arms. And I just thought it was so strange, you know, and so yeah. dangerous. Well, it's a, uh, you know, we have to apply credit where credit is due and the marketing propaganda machine uh, between big tech, big pharma and mainstream media was a, you know, a military precision operation in terms of getting that message out and creating that fear to, to push the herd into getting slaughtered. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, their ability to control, you know, just to take down things that said otherwise that, that didn't fit their agenda, just take it down. That kind of power is so scary. Well, it Very certainly disturbing. is. And, you know, if, if you type uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff into Google, the first two pages are, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theorists, quack, you know, on just a bunch of derogatory guff. And if, if someone goes beyond that and, and actually applies some of their own critical thinking to evaluate what you've said, I mean, nothing that you have all of your research makes a lot of sense and it's not stuff that you've you know pulled out of the air and are trying to wrap a conspiracy theory around. I mean, it's very well thought out, reasonable, logical information. I know. I think it's really interesting that someone like me can be characterized that way, you know, and then people believe it too. Many people say, oh, well, she's a quack, so let's just move on, go look at something else, right? That It scares people away from listening to my real message. Sure. And it's certainly, you know, your credentials and your intellect, if somebody gave you the the opportunity, you know, uh, at least a, a, an open ear, you know, I think their, their, the, the quackery argument would quickly be dissipated. Right. But so. of course, they... They're going to use it. And so it, it makes me maybe more visible also. So maybe there's a plus side to it. <laughs> sure. Any, any publicity is good publicity, I guess, right? Yeah. And they fight you harder when they think you actually have a message that could threaten them. So, Sure, sure. So in your opinion, then, have our public health agencies failed society by authorizing this emergency use medical product? Uh, Absolutely. To, be, to be administered en masse. And, you know, they haven't passed any real meaningful form of safety trials. And in, right. in essence, this is a grand phase three human medical experiment. That's right. That's right. Yes. And what I'm seeing is is, is really verifying what I was suspecting. The longer I, I see what's happening as it unfolds, my predictions are coming true. Yeah. And, and based course, on the you know, science. That was based on the science. Right, right. And, and of course, you know, one of the other narratives, particularly that we're hearing in Canada uh, from the mainstream media is that until we reach a certain level of vaccination, nothing gets back to normal and it's the only means right. to end the pandemic and on and on. I mean, uh, how do you feel about that part of the narrative? I think it's not true, but I think it's, you know, if if they're going to make it be true and actually shut, shut down all these all these crazy restrictions, it'll be a blessing. I mean, if that's what it takes to get us back to normal, just because that's their rulings, you know, maybe that'll be good. 
um, that it'll finally force them to stop doing all this stuff because we really should just get on with normal life. Uh, well, we didn't need the vaccine to do that. Sure. You know, and it certainly seems like most American states are back to normal. Um, and again, in my uh, my time down in the southern U.S., people there have no idea what's going on in Canada. I mean, I know I've been hearing about how, how incredible Canada has been. I'm surprised, I, you know, that your government's worse than our government, because I wouldn't have expected that necessarily. Yeah, it's it, it truly is shocking. And then the adverse uh, vaccine reporting system uh, globally seems to be reporting reactions and deaths that are in order of magnitude greater than any previous vaccine program. Uh, are you seeing the same trends? Absolutely, your even more. I mean, in fact, this guy, Bob Malone, who's this, you know, one of the early researchers in messenger RNA technology, he stated in this interview that, um, and I see it from the data in the VARES database, if you look at the, at the last six months of the number of deaths reported associated with these vaccines, it's more than the number of deaths associated with all the vaccines over the pre- previous 20 years. So yes. it's really, really amazing how much, how many deaths are being reported. And of course, there's many other things too. Um, I was really interested in 25, over 2,500 cases of Bell's palsy, which is like paralysis on one side of your face. That's caused by viruses. These are viruses that are um, activated when your immune system is weakened. And the virus, the vaccine weakens your immune system. That's the interesting mm-hmm. thing. It, 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 tur- it turns all your immune cells' attention towards producing these antibodies because they're, they're terrified by this spike protein that's being madly produced by the immune cells under the instruction of the, of the vaccine. And then the immune cells are, are trying to cope with this spike protein. So they bring in all these B cells and T cells and they become very eager to perfect their antibodies to match that spike protein. This is the goal of the vaccine. And they've done that very, very well. It, they produce way more va- uh, antibodies in response to the vaccine than they do in response to the disease. This is because first of all, they've bypassed the mucosal barriers because the virus comes into the lungs, mucosal barriers has to get past that, past the blood barrier, and then into the tissues. So that's several stages of protection that the innate immune system normally offers that are gone because you go straight into the muscle. The muscle cells get really destroyed by these by the toxicity of these vaccines. Mm-hmm. And they call in the immune system to help them out. And those immune cells pick up the, these uh, particles. These are like lipid nanoparticles. They're made to look like LDL particles, which is the you know, the cholesterol in your blood, they, they imitate LDL particles so that they are taken up by the cells under natural machinery that normally would take up LDL particles, but they're nothing like LDL particles. And once they get opened up, you've got this um, RNA ready to go to start spewing out spike protein. It's a pretty clever technology. It's incredibly not natural. Nothing is natural about any step of the way of this thing. Unnatural lipids and unnatural RNA unnatural protein even the code for the protein has been changed so that it can't get into the membrane so they've modified the the protein in order to keep it in this open state where the antibodies can easily where the immune cells can easily see the part of the protein to produce the antibodies that they're looking for but that is actually making the protein much more dangerous than it because it sticks to the ace2 receptors and it disables them the protein that's in the vaccine is different from the protein that's in the virus in a way that makes it more dangerous in terms of binding to the ACE2 receptors and then messing up a whole bunch of things. Because when those ACE2 receptors are disabled, lots of bad things happen, including things like um, cardiomyelitis, which is inflammation of the heart. And that's something we're seeing in very young people. A 19-year-old woman, college student, died of heart failure following the vaccine. 
Yes, and I think I think in Canada we've seen more young males with the uh, myocarditis, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson had commented that even if you have a mild case of myocarditis, let's say you're a 16 year old youth, enough to cause you for a, a doctor's visit, the degradation of that heart tissue may manifest right. as a heart attack at age 30 or 35 or 40 right. under we a stressful know. condition, and we don't know. I mean, that's a ticking time bomb. You know, what if you've lost three yeah. percent of your of your heart muscle? What if it's 1%? What if it's 10%? It's, it's an unknown quantity that has, uh, you know, deleterious future effect. Yeah. And if it's somebody playing football in, in high school, you have to wonder about whether playing football is going to injure their heart more, right? After having that injury from the vaccine, whether sure. they can still play without da- endangering their life. Right. And I, I've read somewhere as well that the, the spike protein may actually have been the gain of function target uh have you heard anything of that nature as well uh yeah i mean it's really i have read a lot about the origins of this uh it was so you know it's one of those things that was coming up at me with different people's theories and you're just so mixed up you're very i don't like not not knowing the answer you know (laughs) and there was a long period of time when i was reading different people's theories about where this virus came from and trying to figure out is it natural is it not natural it was it released accidentally was it released on purpose was it engineered or did it just evolve in the lab? All these questions, you know, and we're still seeking answers. I sort of settled into my my best guess. Uh, I was really shocked to hear that they actually have over there in China, they have these mice. I think it's mice that have been engineered to have a human version of the ACE2 receptor. I don't know if you heard about that. No, that's, that's interesting. They can do fancy things with these mice. So they put, they put together these mice that have ACE2 receptors that are human ACE2 receptors. And then if you infect those mice with this virus, you're inviting the virus to learn how to, you know, it's just the virus can evolve very quickly. And so uh, you've set up these mice to train the virus to learn how to bind to that human ACE2 receptor. So you could just infect the mice, it would seem to me, and the virus would mature into a version, because that's how you get across species is because there's uh, something sufficiently similar. Well, these mice have exactly the human ACE2 receptor. So if you just infect them with that virus, um, the virus will evolve to be able to, because this virus is actually much, much better at binding to the ACE2 receptor than its predecessor. They they know this, you know, I've I've read in the literature, SARS-CoV, the original one, uh, they figured out that was binding to the ACE2 receptor, but this one binds like something like 12 times as well as its predecessor to the ACE2 receptor. So it seems to be very well perfected and there are certain sequences in the in the um, virus spike protein that look very very suspicious, as far as you know, virologists are saying there's no way that that could have happened through natural processes. It had to have been engineered. And the fact is, they can engineer anything they want these days. They have so much power because they can just make these vaccines by just you know writing out the formula and sending it off to a lab that makes DNA from scratch. You know, they can basically make whatever they want as long as they have the formula. So if they know this is certain, you know, Luc Montagnier thinks they might have been developing, trying to develop vaccines for AIDS. And they were thinking if we could put some AIDS genes in there, into this coronavirus, you know, this harmless cold virus, let's put some AIDS genes in there, maybe people will get antibodies to AIDS. It's actually the same idea that they're using in these DNA vector vaccines. It's the same idea. They take an adenovirus, they insert the spike protein of the the coronavirus into the adenovirus DNA. And that's those other vaccines like Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca. They're based okay. on a different principle. But that's very similar to this idea of putting the age genes into the coronavirus. It's the same concept, you know? So they could have been playing around with trying to get some vaccines 
they could have been developing, you know, bio uh, military. It could have been a military thing. I mean, who knows, right? It's just there's so many questions. Uh, we don't have answers. We have questions. But there's tremendous um, increase. I think this was called, you know, conspiracy theory over and over, right? The idea that it came from the lab was just over and over. It's a conspiracy theory. And then Facebook would, would block it and Twitter would block it. Um, but it finally, now I think some of the more mainstream uh, journalism is coming out with, you know, maybe this is true because they're finding that the natural origin um, is falling apart. They can't find a good story for natural origin, whereas they're finding a better and better story over time for the lab origin. And my guess would be that it was an accidental release, but I don't know. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it seems like the Wuhan Virology Institute was a pretty poorly run outfit. And, it, you know, I, I would question a purposeful release, but an right. accidental release, I think, is very likely. Um, I think the pangolin and bat soup uh, narrative is, mm -hmm. you know, a fairy tale. Uh, mm -hmm. particularly as you suggest, you know, when you begin to an analyze uh, what we can see of the virus, I mean, it looks like it came out of a CRISPR editor and there's not exactly. much question with that. So, yeah, you know. it, it really. And then what we have, uh, Dr. Michael Yaden, the former VP at Pfizer, who's commented on these experimental vaccines saying that recipients are being misled to a criminal extent. Mm -hmm. um, w would you support his statement? I would. I would. I think it's criminal. Yeah. So we're, and, we're at that, and, we're at that point then. I think so. Yeah. I just, um, I just don't understand the recklessness, you know, and, and, and especially to even like pregnant women. Right. And so they said, um, well, well, we didn't test it on pregnant women, but you know, if you're pregnant, you know, you can go ahead and get it if you want it. It was just, I was just so shocked. Yeah. You can't, you know, not test it on pregnant women and expect it to be okay for the fetus. That is just crazy, especially because it's come out now. I don't know if you heard about the Pfizer, um, a document that was requested from Canadians, actually, I think it was Canadian doctors who requested uh, use, using FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. They got a hold of this document, which was in Japanese. So I think it was written for the Japanese government or something, a Pfizer document where they studied the messenger RNA to see where it goes, because that's important. You, you think when you get this vaccine injected in your arm, it stays there. But that is not true at all, because those immune cells come in, they take up that RNA, they carry it elsewhere. And, and actually, they go into the lymph system, and you can get swollen um, lymph nodes under your arm, which is a characteristic feature of breast cancer. You can get that immediately. Many women are getting that as a side effect from the vaccine. It goes from the lymph nodes into the spleen. And I was aware of that, and I wrote a lot about the spleen in the paper that Dr. Greg Nye and I wrote about these vaccines. We have a very long paper that we wrote. Um, we've got It's been very well received. I've gotten lots of email back from people complimenting me and thanking me for writing it. Very detailed um, paper describing these vaccines and the danger, uh, potential dangers that we see. And I got uh, distracted there because I wanted to get back to the ovaries, which is the, which was the Japanese uh, document. It showed, uh, so we had known about spleen and liver from, from a previous study where we, they had tracked messenger RNA pathways. But this uh, uh, document from, from Japan showed uh, very high levels in the ovaries and the adrenal glands in addition to the spleen and the liver. And the ovaries is very, very concerning because that's, you know, reproductive system. And, and we have many reports in virus of um, irregular periods, extremely high uh, bloody period with all kinds of stuff coming out. It's like it's stripping the, the lining of the uterus. That's got to be something very toxic. And then um, also people getting miscarriages, so pregnant women getting the vaccine and having the baby abort. Very, yes. very common uh, thing in, in VARES. It's really frightening. And to think that they think this is fine, I don't. 
I don't know. I can't. I wish I could get inside the heads of these people in the government that are saying this is a fine thing to do to, to vaccinate these pregnant women. I just don't get it. And of course, the twelve-year-old kids as well. Sure. I was so shocked when they got it so quickly down to twelve-year-olds, and immediately twelve-year-olds were getting injections right away. Almost as soon as it came out that it was okay for them, school started mandating it. You couldn't play sports. It's just amazing. I I I, I I'm astonished. I remain astonished every day that this is actually happening. You know, I don't know what is wrong with our world today. It is really, really messed up. Yeah, the, the hysteria, I think, is unprecedented in terms of, uh, you know, a, a group heard uh, concern of just all rushing over the cliff. Uh, mm -hmm. Tremendous amount of uh, peer pressure amongst the youth as well. Um, you know, that's uh, especially amongst the schools. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, th I think some of that as well is that, you know, unfortunately, the schools have been have become, uh, you know, this sort of uh, libertarian, very left leaning uh, institutions where they or at least they seem to attract those type of people. And, and whether the teacher is espousing those philosophies directly, I'm sure there's a lot of indirect um information that's going to the students and, and invariably they seem to be all, uh, you know, cowering before the, this, mm -hmm. this perceived threat and, you know, lining up for their vaccines. It's, it's, I think uh, a lot scary. of the students, um, I'm guessing a lot of the students don't really want the vaccine, but they sort of accept the, the rule once, oh, oh okay. I, and they're used to this, right? Oh, school says I have to get a vaccine before I can go to school. You know, I have to get a vaccine before I can play basketball. So, okay, fine. I'll just get the vaccine. I mean, they've been so, Vaccines have been made to be such a routine thing that sure. they don't realize this is not a vaccine. This is something much, much more. Yeah. And they don't understand the potential de devastating consequences they could experience from it. And even down the road, this is the thing that really scares me about the prion aspect of this virus, of this protein. Um, that's something that Greg Knight and I looked into very carefully. And I wanted to tell you the name of our paper. It's called Worse Than the Disease. I have it written here. Reviewing sure. Some Unintended Consequences of the messenger RNA vaccines against COVID-19. It's a long paper, over 40 pages long, lots and lots of references. And we really dove into the prion protein aspect because we had seen it on the web. We'd seen some suggestions that this looked like it had prion-like characteristics. And um, so we dug deeper into that whole space and really hit gold, or you could say, <laughs> <laughs> something else entirely <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was pretty amazing because it turns out you know and i know something about prion proteins they're very very interesting those are the proteins for example that cause the mad cow remember the mad cow disease in the uk um, they they're really uh, it's very interesting biology because these are proteins the prion proteins are essential they're very important they have some important role in the body that nobody quite understands yet so that's also very very intriguing you can't figure mm. out quite what it is they do they normally fold in such a way they form these alpha helices and they go into the membrane of the cell. But if they, um, they can fold into the wrong form, they can form, form into something called beta sheets. And when they do that, they become soluble and they go into the cytoplasm. And the beta sheets can actually kind of line up together and form fibrils. And it's that version of protein that becomes toxic. So people don't even really understand what causes them to misfold into these beta sheets, but they do know that when they do that, they end up in the cytoplasm, whereas if they fold properly, they go into the membrane. So that, and then they also know they have this uh, motif, it's called a glycine zipper motif, um, which is quite interesting. It's a pattern, a GXXXG pattern, two glycines with three inter intermediate amino acids in between. Proteins are like amino acids in a long beads on a string. 
But that particular sequence, GXXXG, is a characteristic sequence of prion proteins. And interestingly, so you have other proteins that misfold, like amyloid beta is a famous one with Alzheimer's disease. It misfolds and causes Alzheimer's. There's uh, alpha-synuclein, which is associated with Parkinson's disease. There's TDP43, which is associated, associated with ALS. All these different um, diseases are associated with certain proteins that have that same property. They go into the membrane, but if they don't, they end up with these beta sheets that mess up. And the thing about the prion proteins is that they act as crystalline seeds. So if you get a misfolded prion protein in, in, this, in the cytoplasm of the cell, it can trigger other proteins to also misfold in the same way. So it can draw in alpha-synuclein, it can draw in amyloid beta, it can cause all these awful diseases. So these things are the basis of these neurodegenerative diseases. ALS, Parkinson's disease, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, um, and then CKD, Kurtzfeldt, Jakob disease, all these horrible neurodegenerative diseases are linked to these misfolded proteins. So the prion, pro so it turns out um, amyloid beta is, it has prion-like characteristics and it has four of these um, glycine zippers in it. So that's a characteristic feature of, of it being a prion protein. And I looked at the spike protein sequence and I was quite surprised to see that it has five. It has five glycine zippers, which means it's kind of more prion-like than amyloid beta is. It's a very, to me, that means it's a very dangerous protein. And when you manipulate it so that it can't go into the membrane, which they did with the vaccine, they changed the code. They put in these two prolines that prevents it from going into the membrane. To me, that makes it more likely to have this prion-like behavior and turn into beta sheets in the cytoplasm. So I feel it could potentially be very, very dangerous. And on top of that, I learned that Parkinson's disease actually begins in the spleen. It's very well known. It begins with protein misfolding in the, sp in the spleen. And this vaccine goes into the spleen in very large numbers. The highest concentration of all the organs was in the spleen. And that's where the immune cells actually perfect their antibodies. So it makes sense because they're, you know, the, the virologists are looking to make this thing produce lots and lots of antibodies. That's their goal. And so you end up making lots of spike protein in the spleen with this instruction, under instruction from this messenger RNA. The immune cells are making lots of spike protein and they're getting in trouble with it. It's, I think it's misfolding and it's causing all kinds of alarm bells. And then this, of course, forces them to draw in these um, B cells and T cells are going to make the antibodies. So you have to perfect the antibodies to match that protein. This is the whole process of, of um, adaptive immunity that they're looking for with the vaccine. Works really well. I have to say it works well as far as generating antibodies is concerned, which is its goal. However, I think it's going to end up causing tremendous toxicity in the spleen. The spleen has lots and lots of platelets, something like I think one third or maybe even two thirds of the platelets in the body are in the spleen. That's where the platelets are. So that's a holding ground for platelets. When you have all that spike protein, you can cause an immune attack onto the platelets. And then you can end up with uh, you know, um, blood problems, like your platelet counts drop to zero and you can die from that from a uh, stroke, like you can get a hemorrhagic stroke because your platelet counts drop to zero because your immune system is attacking the platelets. This has happened in some of the people uh, who got the vaccine. Wow. And, um, and, and then you also have um, the prion protein. So then these um, immune cells in the spleen, actually, they're trying to get rid of this toxic protein. So they package it up inside these lipid particles and they release it as exosomes. Exosomes are really, really interesting. And those can travel along the um, vagus nerve up to the brainstem. And this is a well-known pathway for alpha-synuclein to cause Parkinson's disease. They believe Parkinson's disease starts in the gut, goes straight to the spleen, goes from the spleen to the brain, and then gets into the um, 
substantial Niagara and causes Parkinson's disease. So I predict we're going to see a, a, an epidemic in Parkinson's disease down the road. It's going to take some time because these, these prion diseases take time to develop. It's a long period of time over which the prion issue builds up to the point where it finally becomes manifest as disease in the brain. Hmm. That's that's interesting. I, I did read a uh, paper by uh, Dr. Bart Klassen, MD. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You pr- probably saw that, which... Uh, that's he... what started us with the prion idea, yeah. Okay, so you know, he, it sounds like there's a um, prion-like res- uh, domain rece- in the receptor binding domain of the S1 region, the spike protein. And yes. again, you know that that if and you're telling me that there's you, you've discovered that there's five copies of that on the yes. spike protein. I mean, that again seems unnatural and perhaps engineered to ensure that there's a greater. Well, that's number. interesting. I wonder right? if that's true. That's really interesting. Why not throw a few prion elements in there, right? <laughs> you're trying I mean, to make it, a toxic protein. Sure. Uh, it's kind of scary to think that they could just do that, you know. They they know too much, actually, and they have too much skill, I think. They're very um, dangerous because they are not, uh, they're so bold and reckless, and they don't really anticipate this kind of a, oh, what could go wrong, kind of shrug your shoulders kind of attitude, which you should not have with these things, because it's really, a, and I have an imagination that says a lot could go wrong that we're not thinking about. And that's yeah. certainly one that I expect is that... Um, neurodegenerative diseases. I guess it's a question of what the intention is. I mean, if if your intention as a vaccine developer is to help people, then this is an unintended consequence. If this is a bioterrorism weapon, as some other uh, researchers have now begun to comment, then you've done a very good job. I know. It is a question of what your goal is. <laughs> and of course, the depopulation. I mean, if you're really interested in depopulation, you think, well, if this does happen to cause reproductive problems, well, that's probably a good thing, right? If you're thinking we have too many humans, let's just reduce. I, I find it really interesting to think about vaccines, you know, how using vaccines to depopulate, because it really is a a tricky way to do it, to sort of hide what you're doing. If you just vaccinate a bunch of 14-year-old girls with some vaccine, and then by, when they're 2021, 20, try to have kids find out they're infertile, they're not going to hook that up. They're not going to realize it's that vaccine that made them that way. So it's a really convenient way to get uh, to sterilize a lot of people without them being aware that that's what you're doing. It's kind of scary to think that that is something one could pull off if one wanted to do such a thing. Well, and what's you know what's more concerning <laughs> is that if we do actually reach the 75 percent uh, double vaccinated rate, uh, and uh, they just read this morning that the the symptoms uh, obviously from one dose versus two now you've got double the dose of uh, or your body has produced double the dose of spike proteins, uh, you know you're well on the way to being compromised, and you know God help us if uh, we actually reach these 75% numbers and let's say even half of those people become sterilized. I mean, th- th- this could have a, uh, you know, this could mark the decline of humanity. I know. I mean, I think it's a real possibility. We'll have to just let time pass and see what happens. We could be crying wolf. It could be that it turns out not to be true. I mean, we don't know, right? You, you can use science only to some point because you can't specifically perfectly predict what's going to happen, but you can certainly look at evidence that suggests that bad things could happen. And putting a spike protein in large amounts into the ovaries is not a good thing. You know, by by any measure, it's not a good thing. That protein is very toxic. It's actually the most toxic part of the virus. And they've just taken that one toxic piece out of the virus and made our cells make lots of it. And it goes into the blood. They've actually shown, and recent studies showed that vaccinated people have spike protein in their blood. That wasn't supposed to happen, according to theory, but it is happening. 
And if that is going into the blood, it's binding to the ACE2 receptors anywhere. If it goes, you know, to the heart, you end up with these heart problems. If it goes to the lungs, you get pulmonary hypertension. If it goes to the brain, you get stroke. I mean, it's, it's really, um, and it'll cause problems in the vasculature. It'll cause, um, you know, blood clots and hemorrhaging. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing really unstable situations in the blood um, because of this excess quantity of spike protein being madly produced by these cells that can't stop themselves from doing it because the virus, the vaccine instructed them to do that. They can't stop it because they've made this RNA very um, uniquely designed to be very sturdy. Normally, RNA just falls apart very quickly. If it, if they shows up in the in the external space of the cells, you've got enzymes there ready to break it down like crazy. So it's not going to survive a second. It's just going to go away immediately. That was the huge hurdle that they faced in trying to figure out how to design these these vaccines. And they got over that hurdle through many, many steps that involve strengthening the RNA and keeping it from getting broken down. But they've done way too good a job of that. So they don't even know how long it lasts. It could last for six months, continuing to make spike protein that all the while. We don't know. And I guess there's some talk now that some individuals may actually encode this mRNA sequence into their own DNA, or is that... Yes, we talked about that that in our paper. It's really, uh, really interesting work. And now there's a new paper that just came out that found another protein. I was surprised in the research we did for this. I knew about this reverse transcription. You know, there's um, these retroviruses. Judy Mikovits talks a lot about the retroviruses that have reverse transcriptase, which can convert RNA to DNA. Normally, you think DNA goes to RNA goes to protein. That's kind of the law of life. But RNA can go backwards to DNA, and these retroviruses can do that. And I knew about that, but I didn't realize until I did the research for this paper that humans already have uh, enzymes that can convert RNA to DNA. And in fact, this brand new paper that just showed up a few days ago on my desk is um, it's a new paper um, that found this uh, um, polymerase um, theta, polymerase theta. They found out that this guy is really good at converting RNA into DNA. So we're just now realizing we have these enzymes that can do this. And these enzymes are typically activated under stress. So the cancer cells can do it. And interestingly, the sperm cells, the sperm cells have a very good capability of converting RNA to DNA. Uh, I found we found an amazing paper which we we referenced in our paper about how sperm can take messenger RNA, foreign messenger RNA, take it in, convert it to DNA, and put it into these little particles called plasmids, and then the sperm release the plasmids around the fertilized egg, and the plasmids are taken up by the fertilized egg. And then that fertilized egg can keep those plasmids going throughout the lifespan of that person. They get, um, they, they, they are independent units of DNA that can self-clone. So they can survive through multiple generations beyond that first introduction from the sperm to that fertilized egg and pass yeah. it down to future generations. I guess if there's too much spike protein that would be manufactured at that time, or as the fetus develops, I mean, it could uh, affect the endometrium I- and... That's I would think I don't know what it would do to the fetus, but I can't imagine it growing all this spike protein while it's you know maturing. I, I can't imagine what that would do. I guess we may find out. We may find some interesting looking babies that come out of people who got wow. vaccinated while they were pregnant. I don't know. Or, or they're simply not going to. I mean, they'll be uh, spontaneously right. aborted uh, as soon as that. Well, spike that's protein. what we're seeing too, right? Which I think yeah. could be what's happening. Uh, the Amazing. toxicity of that spike protein is killing the baby. Amazing. I uh, I would appreciate if you'd forward me that uh, that paper. I haven't seen that one yet, and that sounds uh, the like sperm the, paper. 
the, the one with the uh, the polymerase theta yeah. conversion. I yeah. can do this if I can remember the sperm paper, the polymerase, and also our paper, the one that Greg and I wrote. Yeah, beautiful. I'll give you all beautiful. three of them. Super. Uh, and of course, some time ago now, James, Dr. James Lyons Weiler warned us about these unsafe yes. epitopes contained within the virus. Um, Absolutely. That, that the manufacturers could have stripped. And, you know, we're obviously these are the, uh, the proteins which are causing these immune conditions and, and so forth. Um, is this what we're, are we seeing come to life what uh, Dr. Lyons Weiler warned us about? I think so. And in fact, we wrote a lot about both his paper and also a follow on research by others who confirmed that it was true. So he basically predicted and he, he does this, you know, prediction, gene prediction from the sequences. He can tell when two sequences are similar, uh, when antibodies are developed for one of them, then it can attack the other one. And this is how you get autoimmune disease because you have foreign proteins in the body. The immune cells develop antibodies against those proteins, but that sequence that they're looking at, they like they're nearsighted, so they see this other sequence in the human protein that's similar, and they think it's that protein uh, they bind to it, and then they cause that protein to be um, destroyed, basically, and that's how you get these autoimmune diseases. And so he found Weiler found all kinds of um, of sequences in the spike protein that were similar to sequences in various proteins that are associated with many of these autoimmune diseases, including multiple sclerosis, celiac disease, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, probably rheumatoid arthritis, and a whole bunch of these autoimmune diseases that have, and he predicted it theoretically, and then someone else actually looked. So they took antibodies that had been produced against the spike protein, and they tested whether they bind to these other proteins. And they found a whole bunch of proteins that are associated with these diseases. That bind that bind to the spike protein, which would bind to the antibodies to the spike protein. So that means it confirmed what he's what Lyons Wilder predicted got confirmed by this study. So we're still waiting to see whether these autoimmune diseases start getting worse, going up. Uh, I'm I'm expecting it will. So uh, depending on your physiology, various or multiple organ systems or tissues could begin to be attacked by your own antibodies. Mm -hmm. By the antibodies you produced against that spike protein. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Now, um, the issue of viral shedding uh, post-vaccination has also come to to play. And I've, I have two uh, friends, um, one who was exposed to a recently vaccinated uh, individual who is, is, is classified as a spit talker. And uh, so my, my friend was uh, within a matter of, you know, a, uh, an evening spending with this gentleman, um, developed COVID-like symptoms uh, to the point where, you know, he phoned me in a panic one morning, you know, th- with no taste and feeling terrible. Wow, and so, that's interesting. We, yeah, so we, we got him on uh, uh, veterinarian ivermectin because, of course, in Canada, you can't buy it except at the vet store. Right. <laughs> uh, so vit- vitamin D, vitamin C, and kind of got him on a, on a, on a cocktail. And within two days, he was he was 100%. Um, and then another colleague, uh, she was spending some time with her mother who had been, who received both doses and almost immediately began uh, spotting. And so, you know, obviously there was some expression of those spike proteins coming out of these individuals. Uh, And in my conversation with uh, Dr. Hodkinson, he said it's theoretically possible, but he's not sure how those spike proteins are entering the human, you know, leaving one human and entering another human because they would have to get either through the mucosa or through your uh, digestive tract or something. So any idea how that's coming or or are these exosomes that somehow... Exosomes. I think that makes a lot of sense. And in fact, and and Greg and I again talked about it in our paper and we talked, we, we found papers that showed that exosomes are, are found in the um, 
sputum, like from the lungs, you know, they can be coughed up from the lungs. I imagine they could come out of the mouth. They might be able to come out through the skin because the body is trying to shed these things. I mean, I think what's happening is these immune cells are packaging up these toxic proteins into these little packets and then getting rid of them because the immune cell has to protect itself. It's just saying, hey, somebody else take this. I don't want it, you know, (laughs) ship it out to the world. The world is first just the organism and it's traveling through the blood and going to the brain, you know, and that's where it could cause uh, neurodegenerative diseases. But it's uh, but it's but the body's probably trying to get rid of them so they can, you know, expel them any way you can. And then somebody else could breathe them in or, you know, it seems to me like that would be a way to um, transmit them from one person to another. And in fact, Greg, uh, he's a practitioner and he had personal um, women told told him about their own experiences uh two women who had menstrual issues you know they were very regular and then all of a sudden had a period too soon it was very heavy this kind of thing after hanging out with vaccinated people so it looks like it's real i mean when i first heard about that that was one of those things that i said well i don't know i better not talk about this it's too wild but you know you get enough evidence you start to think oh i got to think about how this could happen And, and i think that's the way is that they the body of the vaccinated person is trying to get rid of this really toxic protein by packaging it up inside these exosomes and shipping it out. Mm. And of course, there are other, in particular, veterinarian uh, anti- uh, sorry, vaccines that are administered in that fashion, where through the shedding through skin cells and what have you, it winds right. up they are transferring for concept. the whole. Yeah. So yeah, that's the not- whole concept, right? They're, they're yeah. thinking of uh, vaccinating skunks or something by uh, having them spread it among themselves if you just vaccinate one. Yeah. Um, kind of a cool concept, but quite frightening, actually, to think about getting infected with a vaccine. Really yeah, wild. Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, we have this other strange phenomenon now where we're seeing a, a rise in cases and illness in vaccinated populations. And uh, the island nation of the Seychelles comes to mind. Uh, I think they're at something like 67% or, or more double vaccinated, and they've had an outbreak again. Um, mm. we, we recently had that cruise ship in Florida that had all vaccinated individuals, and I think 19 or, or some odd were uh, came down with a COVID-like illness, which, you know, probably was Norwalk, but, uh, you know, in this mm-hmm. day and age, every, everything's COVID. So how is that, how is that possible? Uh, or are these vaccines not doing the job? Or what are your thoughts there? I know, that's a tough one, isn't it? Well, I'm actually really interested in these um, variants that are showing up, and particularly the one in India, the uh, Delta variant. You've probably heard about that. Yes, yes. And it's now taken over the UK, basically. It's interesting how quickly it goes from like 7% to 20% to 80%. You know, it just takes over. Once you get a variant that has an edge, an advantage, it's all about evolution. But when you vaccinate 70% of the population against one strain, that strain has trouble surviving. That's the whole point, right? We're trying to wipe it out. However, this virus mutates very quickly. And so in the face of that, you, you basically allow the virus to weasel its way out of a jam by mutating into a different strain that is less sensitive to the antibodies. And I think that's what's happening. We're getting the virus is rapidly, we're in a race, an arms race against the virus. Um, and so when we get most of the population vaccinated to be very specific antibodies to this one form of the spike protein, um, the virus just changes its spike protein so it doesn't match anymore. And then it becomes a dominant species because it's the one that doesn't get um, shut down by the vaccine. Interesting. And there, there so I is think a, that's going to make the vaccines useless, you know, because uh, these, these new species take over. Right. New strains take over and that's going to make the vaccines useless. So now they're going to have everybody come around again for another round of vaccines with multiple strains put together in one package. Right. That's what I'm predicting. 
they can do that. They just have to write out the code. Once they see, oh, this is the mutation, I'll just put that one into the formula, go order up some DNA that matches that, you know, make a new version of the vaccine. I suspect they're going to do that. And they're going to ask everybody to go for another round of a pair of, of vaccines. And I think a lot of people are going to say, wow, I had a really bad reaction to that first one. I don't think I want to do this again, right? People are going to start to balk, I hope. We'll see. Now, uh, am, am I correct in my understanding that the innate immune system, if it actually has a COVID infection, that the antibodies are not as specific as what would be produced from this mRNA vaccine? And therefore, uh, the innate system is more able to deal with these variants because the actual sequence difference between the variants is quite small. I mean, it's one to three percent in terms of the coding there. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's not just a spike protein, right? The, vi the virus produces a number of different proteins. And, and, and when you have the whole virus, you have an opportunity to develop antibodies to any of those proteins, whereas this is just the spike protein uh, in the case of the, of the vaccine. And also, you don't have to develop antibodies to develop immunity. I think that we underestimate the, um, the power of the innate immune system. And I think that I am guessing that there are probably many people with a healthy immune system who get exposed to the virus, who don't get sick, who don't develop antibodies, and they're perfectly fine. They don't need antibodies. And your body only wants to produce antibodies when it thinks it can't handle that disease without them. You know, it's a way of making it more specific. And every time you make specific antibodies, you're taking away from the innate immune system. You're making it weaker. And that's what we see with these um, vaccines, because that I told you about the um, herpes virus and the um, Bell's palsy. And there's also uh, the uh, varicella virus and shingles. The, both of those, Bell's palsy and shingles, are showing up right after vaccination in a number of people in the virus database. Mm -hmm. It's because the uh, vaccine is weakening your innate immunity. And of course, the new, the new strain, you've got to use more innate immunity because the antibodies are pretty weak. And you've already weakened it with the vaccine, so you're probably less resistant to the new strain than people who weren't vaccinated. And in fact, there was a study in the UK that just came out uh, really interesting because they looked at the infections, people who had been hospitalized with the Delta variant, specifically the Delta variant, and they looked at uh, the ratio, the, the percentage of people who died in the group that was unvaccinated and got the disease versus the group that was fully vaccinated and got the disease. And they found a six-fold increased death rate for the people who were fully vaccinated compared to the ones who were unvaccinated. So this shows that they're they're weaker the vaccinated people have a weaker response to the, to the mutant strain because of the vaccine. It has actually set them back against the mutant strain. Hmm. And I think and that's, that's true for flu as well, the flu vaccine. You know, it's always perfected a certain strains, and then you always say, oh, well, we, did, we guessed wrong last year. The vaccine didn't really work, you know. Um, the people who had got the vaccine have a weaker ability to fight off the other strains than the ones who didn't get the vaccine. Right. And, and that's the phenomenon of uh, antibody-dependent enhancement is, is what you're referring to there? Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably part of what's going on there. And that's one that people were very concerned about. A lot of people have expressed worry that it's going to happen with these vaccines because um, it's happened before with vaccines that they've had trouble developing vaccines for that reason, because they actually, the antibodies actually make the virus stronger rather than weaker, which yes. is why it's sort of hard to understand that, how that could yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, and, and are you familiar with the, the Dengavaxia um, vaccine program in the Philippines, which was, I guess, one of the first mRNA vaccines to be released to the Right. And, and it caused ADE, right? And it was uh, taken off the market because of that. They killed some people. Well, I think it killed, killed almost a thousand children out of... Mm. 
five or 600,000 that were vaccinated. And, and they found specifically that those children who had encountered a dengue fever infection mm-hmm. had already been infected. Right? Yeah. So they had a bit more uh, resistance to the vaccine, whereas uh, children who had never had an infection, uh, those would, uh, you know, by and large, the ones that uh, received the worst effects, including death from, from being vaccinated there. Mm. And, and what's interesting... Stuff. Yeah, what's interesting to note there, of course, is that uh, Dr. Fauci had his hands in that as well uh, as being, you know, uh, some form of uh, patent ownership within that. So, I mean, it's uh, a lot of fingers being pointed in in his direction these days. And, and he should know better, right? Because he was involved in that and he knew about it. So he should know better. Yeah, uh, unless unless his his objective is to line his bank account instead of taking investments, right? <laughs> seems to be the objective of many of these people, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems to be. So there is a uh, an article that I came across um, in Genomic Editing, December 2020, anticipating and identifying collateral damage. Uh, or sorry, it's, it's aden- uh, anticipating identifying collateral damage in genome editing, uh, which appeared in the in the journal Trends in Genetics. And um, one of the authors, Dr. Romeo Quijano, um, noted that with some of this experimented gene editing when applied to human vaccines, there is a danger that the vaccine may enhance the pathogenicity of the virus, and it may also um, genetically combine with the wild strain to produce a much more virulent uh, Oh, virus. wow. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. And that- so... Of course, right. which which possibly could be why we're seeing these more right. virulent. Um, oh, that's really interesting because I do think that I do feel that after the right after the first vaccine, people are very vulnerable to COVID before they've developed the antibodies. They're more vulnerable to COVID than those who were not vaccinated. It looks to me like that is the case. Mm-hmm. There were some nursing homes, several nursing homes in Europe and in the United States, where practically uh, large numbers of people died right after they swept through a vaccination campaign. Could died of COVID. So that I think you're highly susceptible to COVID in the first week or two after the vaccine, after the first vaccine, before you have the antibodies. And I've wondered, you know, about that with all those spike proteins lying around as decoys, you, you, you have a hard time spotting the real thing, right? You've got all those spike proteins that, are, that were produced by, your, uh, by the vaccine, through the vaccine process, along with the spike proteins that are produced by the virus. And possibly, it's really interesting to think whether the virus could configure itself using one of those spike proteins. I'm thinking of just this just now. It could take a spike protein that's being produced from the vaccine and put that into its code instead of its own spike protein. It makes sense to me because it's there. And it would then become a version of the virus that can't uh, fuse with the cell, which means it'll bind to the ACE receptors and disable them, just like the vaccine is doing. So that's a really interesting thought that the virus itself is getting uh, overzealous in binding and, and disabling ACE2 receptors, which is what's making the disease much more virulent, much, you know, much harsher symptoms because of this increased disabling of the ACE2 receptors, which is what is a toxic thing, that one of the toxic things that the spike protein does. That's really interesting to think yes. about. I'll, I'll forward you that uh, paper that when makes we get sense. up here. We'll, yeah, we'll wow. do a little, little uh, <laughs> literature swap. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds great. Please do. Yeah. And of course, you know, the other um, point that Dr. Lyons-Weiler put forward uh, is the pathogenic priming, which has occurred with all these other mRNA vaccines. And I think there was a statement made in, I think it was the, the Texas Senate, where, you know, all these previous vaccine trials ceased because they killed all the animal hosts. And yet here we are on mass mm-hmm. 
uh, with this, you know, human trial going on. Um, have you seen any specific examples of, uh, of that pathogenic priming occurring yet? Or, or do we, is that absent thus far? Yeah, uh, I mean, other than possibly that could be what's going on with this six-fold increased death rate among uh, people who were fully vaccinated compared to unvaccinated against the um, the strain that has a different version of the spike protein. That could be related to that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, another thing that was interesting to me, and I just found this out. I have this here, actually, <laughs> this plot. If you can see that right there. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting plot. That is the... Um, it's over time from the beginning of 2020 to today here on the right. Whoops. This is 2020, yes. and then this becomes halfway through 2021. And you can see right when the vaccine started to get introduced here, you yes. start getting this huge rise. And this curve actually matches extremely well with the vaccine uptake rate. You know, it's, it's one of those perfect matches with the rise in the number of people who were vaccinated. And this curve is a particularly odd reason for dying. So this was death data from the CDC over time. And this category is called symptoms, signs, and abnormal clinical and laboratory findings, not elsewhere classified. It's a particular code for, we don't know what the hell killed this person. You know, oh, it doesn't wow. fit into any of our categories. So we'll just put it into this catch-all sort of something else that we don't understand. So in other words, many strange things are happening and people are dying from weird symptoms that nobody understands. Uh, in numbers that are going up dramatically, it's like a six-fold increase. You know, it was very steady right around 670, 650 along here, and then got all the way up to like 3,200. So it's much higher numbers of people dying from this odd thing that nobody understands. Interesting. And of course, you know, one of the other things that we, we haven't spoken about today, but I'm sure you're aware of that uh, the influenza seems to have disappeared, which obviously is, I know. is not possible. I mean, statistically not possible that it's that it's vanished from the earth after, you know, thousands and thousands of years of being present. Um, I wonder if when we get back into the uh, the north or northern hemisphere's flu season in the fall, if we're going to see, that's when we're going to see some of this pathogenic priming again, uh, in the similar fashion that we saw the deaths in Europe early, you know, this sort of April, May of last year, where we had that elderly population that was highly vaccinated with the quadrivalent and trivalent flu shots that right, seemed to have right. a seemed to have an enhanced morbidity because of that. Will we see something similar now? Uh, there, I think there was a. You're probably aware there was a um, UK electron micro microscopy study looking for these viral particles, and they found nothing other right. than influenza A and B. So, if that's the case, and now we have, you know, how many tens of millions of people across the planet uh, that are now, you know, potential uh, potentially cannot deal with an influenza infection in the fall? I mean, that's going to be. A tragic situation. It would be interesting if it's true, yeah. And it's certainly the case that the flu vaccine actually uh, causes increased risk to other um, viruses. There was a study from Hong Kong that showed that they did a controlled study with one group getting the flu vaccine, the other one, uh, the other one not, and then following them for the next year. And they found fourfold increased risk to syncytial virus infection in the vaccinated group compared to the unvaccinated. In other words, other viruses become uh, more dangerous to you if you're vaccinated against one. And that's just the same thing as the COVID-19, where we get this very specific antibody response that distracts the immune system from its other tasks. And so it weakens. I really believe every vaccine weakens the innate immune system. And we have a really, really weak innate immune system in this country. I think all the glyphosate exposure and all the other toxic chemicals, we, we don't have a, a, a healthy immune response 
which is what I think set us up to um, cause uh, so much trouble with COVID-19. If we had had a healthy organic diet and if we had been out in the sunlight getting vitamin D, I think we wouldn't have even noticed COVID-19. It just yeah. might have been like a bad flu season. Well, that, you know, the, the comment on vitamin D, of course, is very interesting. And uh, one of the few things that my father and I agree on on this whole COVID situation is that the government, rather than you know, publishing endless fear and, and nonsense and all this propaganda uh, should have been, and, and money for everyone should have been handing out vitamin D tablets. And we had, we, we had have have so this smart. thing solved 12 months ago. And, and certainly I mean, the, the literature I think is, is very conclusive in terms of, you know, people with vitamin D deficiencies had a higher right. morbidity than those that didn't. Dramatic and, difference. Uh, yeah. One was saying maybe 80% of the cases could have been due to vitamin D deficiency. Yes. And, that, and that, you know, that's, uh, again, we're, we're into that, you know, criminal negligence by these health mm -hmm. authorities. Uh, and, you know, today still in Ontario, as a, as a licensed physician, you cannot publicly say that vitamin D is a, a prophylactic for COVID. You will lose your that's license. That's really crazy, isn't it? That's so strange. I mean, that's, that, you know, and they're saying that this is fake news, the, the health right. minister, it's fake news. <laughs> You're right. I know. You know it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's madness. I hope people are waking up. I mean, I feel like if people have just look under the hood a little bit, they're going to see what's going on. I feel like it should be obvious to them. It frustrates me that so many people aren't seeing it, aren't catching on. Yeah, and and this this is a, a that point is a major frustration of mine. And and as I was having my morning coffee and getting myself wound up for the day, um, reading the news, uh, our communist broadcasting corp, the CBC, uh, produced <laughs> pr produced a uh, a piece uh, saying that two thirds of Canadians surveyed favor maintaining COVID restrictions. So wow. I, don't, I don't know who those two thirds of Canadians are because I'd like to meet them all and, and give them a piece <laughs> of my mind. Um, but, you know, we, we, somehow we've, we've created this, this society now that, uh, you know, wants to live under its master's thumb. And, you know, can I go live inside fear. today, please? Just yeah. Living in fear. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, and, and it's, it's, it's so interesting, the, the dichotomy between America and Canada. You know, I was just off in uh, southern U.S. and Costa Rica and came home. You know, I was supposed to get a PCR test upon arrival, even though I needed to present one to get on the plane at my destination, which you know, <laughs> no logic. And then go, to, then go to a COVID jail hotel for three days waiting for my test and then go wow. home and spend four, you know, another 14 days. So, you know, I'm, wow. I'm presently under house arrest. Um, under Prime Minister Castro's orders, uh, until, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I think I'm on day 11 or something now. They actually want you to take a day eight test um, wow. that you, that you send off, <gasps> and, wow. and if you and if you don't take that one, you don't get to leave your house. So uh, you know, wow. I, I gave oh, them. If you don't my, take uh, it, wow. <laughs> yeah, I gave, them, I gave them my get out of jail free card when I got to the airport, but uh, you know, te technically. I'm uh, liable for another fine for not having taken my day eight test. And then, you know, $750,000 and six months imprisonment for leaving my house on uh, the day 15 without my day eight COVID test. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wow. mental yet, yet America, our, our, you know, closest neighbor uh, never had any quarantine restrictions from most countries and uh, certainly not for their own citizens returning home. And, and, you know, the population didn't disintegrate and, and, you know, there yeah, were no, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's madness. So uh, any long-term predictions in turning the, in turning regarding the, the protection from these vaccinated from future infections, uh, you know, we kind of yeah. cover this in terms of the mutations and so forth, or, or have they 
you know, who uh, uh, enlisted themselves in this grand medical experiment for no known upside. I know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. And I'm curious to see whether, you know, the rates go up with these autoimmune diseases and these neurodegenerative diseases. And if they do go up, they probably won't, won't blame the vaccines. They'll probably blame COVID or something. They'll find some other reason for it. Um, you know, we're, they're really, really good at suppressing the information about the, the downside of these vaccines. And, um, and I'm afraid they're going to start rolling out, you know, new versions of the vaccine every year, every six months and say, okay, guys, we've got to go do this again. And whether the population will get tired of it. And I'm hoping in a sense that they'll get worse and worse symptoms every time they get one of these vaccines, it'll be worse than the time before, you know, the body's telling them, I don't want any more of this stuff. And hopefully they'll get the hint and stop doing it. The individuals, you know, will fight back. And you would think eventually the government would notice that it's doing more harm than good with all these vaccines. Um, I, I think if the vaccines do end up letting us get off the hook as far as all the lockdowns, that'll be a good thing. Just because the government has decided, oh, yeah, all these people are vaccinated, now it must be safe. If they do that, that will be great. So that will be a big, big plus side. But they should have been able to do that in any case, because I think most of the people that were susceptible to dying from COVID-19 are already dead. You know, they're the ones yeah. that it, it picked off the people who were the weakest to start with. And thank God it's like that. It doesn't kill the children, which is such a gift. I mean, I love this virus for that, you know, <laughs> because it's um, it's really only targeting, for the most part, only targeting people who are already sick to begin with. Sure, sure. And, uh, whereas and, the vaccine and, is killing off young people who are perfectly healthy. Yes. And, and, you know, at this point, you know, we're kind of six months into this experiment. God knows what's going to happen in six months or 12 months or three years to these individuals as uh, they develop. I know. And it's very frightening to think if it's going to really mess up our reproduction because we're already in trouble, you know, and glyphosate's part of that story too. And I have a chapter in my book on reproduction. Mm. Um, it's definitely one of the chemicals that's disrupting both male and female reproduction. And we have a lot of problems with uh, infertility, a growing problem, you know, growing business <laughs> with treating, you know, infertility clinics are making a lot of money off of people who can't have kids it's going to get worse. And I, I suspect it's going to get worse because of these vaccines and exactly how much we don't know, but we'll have to just wait and see what happens. Yeah. So on that point, actually, uh, I had the, the pleasure of interviewing the global frontline nurses. Uh, I think it was in December of last year. And uh, one of the gals lives down in Florida and uh, she had commented to me that um, a colleague of hers works at a fertility clinic. And since, you know, early this year, they've seen a 500% increase mm. in their, in their throughput, both from vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals. And wow. they're seeing, they're seeing, you know, just a ovaries with a host of non-viable eggs and sperm that oh, is my. denatured or non-motile. And, wow. you know, so there, there's a made there, you know, your comments there, I think we're already at that point. Um, and then again, I mean, are these things being reported to VARES? Probably not. Right. I know. So, and if they're reported to VARES, are they being ignored? Right. Cause there's. Yeah. 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 So I guess, and then to, uh, to sort of circle back to our original conversation about glyphosate, um, do you have any research updates on your discovery indicating this striking correlation between, uh, air exp exposure to air pollution, um, that could be yeah. glyphosate laden and, and the death rate from COVID? I think so. I've been saying this, you know, for some time. I've written some articles on that on the web. I really believe that um, the biofuel industry is playing a role, and it's the biofuels plus glyphosate being used on the on the crops because the biofuel industry, as you may know, they have a 
a system where they can, for example, take wheat and they can grow the wheat crop, spray it with glyphosate right before harvest, harvest the wheat, and then use the stalks and take them down to a factory where they turn them into biofuel. So they've sprayed it with glyphosate just a few days before they, you know, take it down. And so I think that uh, glyphosate's getting into the biofuel. It's probably being released from the biofuel plants, plants that are producing the biofuels, and it may also be released from the gas tanks, you know, just through evaporation before it hits combustion. Um, and it's also contributing probably to the nitrogen problem because these um, biofuels are, it's been shown that the uh, biofuels are more toxic than the natural um, fuels that are derived from oil uh, in terms of studies with human exposures to, uh, to the fumes. So, um, and one of the aspects of that toxicity could be glyphosate. It's a theory at this point, although it comes closer to fact because Brazil recently published some researchers in Brazil published a paper where they looked at nanoparticles in the air and tested specifically for glyphosate. And they found glyphosate in the nanoparticles in, in pretty much most of the samples, I think. And they found higher levels of glyphosate in the nanoparticles that were taken from the city compared to the countryside where the crops were being grown that were sprayed with glyphosate, higher levels in the city. And I think it's because uh, Brazil is, an, uh, is the world leader in bioethanol they produce yes. a lot of bioethanol from sugarcane that's sprayed right before harvest with glyphosate, and they they can they've designed these engines that I, for these trucks that that run on like seventy percent bioethanol, very uh, special these designed engine engine engines to run on bioethanol, so mm -hmm. they're burning lots of bioethanol in the city, I think, and releasing glyphosate into the air, and the glyphosate is getting tra trapped in the nanoparticles. And the nanoparticles, studies from both Europe and the United States showed that there's a correlation between the level of the number of nanoparticles in the air of, uh, and the um, COVID-19 death rate. There was a paper in the United States by some Harvard researchers that showed a strong correlation at the level of the county. They looked at counties across the country, and they found a strong correlation between nanoparticle levels and um, you know, pollution levels and COVID-19 death rate. So uh, those nanoparticles you're talking like PM 2.5. Yes, PM right, right. Those That's small. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. So I, my previous guest this morning, we were discussing the um, uh, bioenergy industry and, and the wood pellets, and which of yes. course is, is, is all being pushed by the climate alarmism. And yes. so now we're, we're, we're trading human health uh, at, at the expense of the specter of carbon dioxide, uh, which, you know, to me is a, it's a false narrative. I mean, we're, yeah, we're, and we're probably not improving the carbon dioxide with, by burning the wood, wood pellets either, because. Uh, no, in, in fact, it's, it's double the carbon, double, double the CO2 emissions compared to natural gas. And if, and, you know, my, my whole argument with all these renewables is that at the end of the day, when you look at the life cycle of bringing that product, you know, mm -hmm. let's say in the, in the case of a solar panel, all the rare earth manufacturing, everything that it takes to get that panel to somebody, and then the 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 efficacy of that product on a you know per kilogram to watt basis, you know coal and natural gas is just simply a winner in every case. And if if you aren't part of the climate alarmism camp, uh, worried about CO two in the atmosphere, then there's no upside to that. It just simply doesn't make any sense to to go down that pathway. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that when you do the careful analysis on the biofuels, that they don't actually help the CO two situation. No, no when you can, when you take everything into account, because they neglect some parts of it that are actually increasing CO two. And another thing I will say is that glyphosate suppresses an enzyme, which is the most common 
enzyme on the planet. It's called Rubisco. It's made by plants and it's a, it's a crucial enzyme in converting carbon dioxide into organic matter. You know, photosynthesis. It's a crucial nice. enzyme in photosynthesis and glyphosate suppresses it. So that is going to help to get more CO2 in the air because the plants are unable to capture it and put it into the soil. For sure. Uh, and something else we covered as well this morning is the, which relates to this conversation right now is, is these higher nitrous oxide levels uh, yes. that, that are produced from biofuels. Um, and what is the nitrous oxide impact on the ACE receptor? Uh, I believe there's a connection there as well. Oh, I, uh, it, it is, it is connected, but I'm not going to be able to tell you how <laughs> nitrous, nitrous oxide is a very interesting uh, molecule by itself. And it actually is a very strong greenhouse gas. It's much, much worse than carbon dioxide, like a hundred times worse as a greenhouse gas. And, um, and it's, it, nitrogen is a part of glyphosate. So if glyphosate's in the fuel, it's going to release nitri nitrous oxide from the, from the glyphosate when it gets combusted. But it could be the nitrous oxide is actually an indicator of glyphosate contamination in the fuel. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it might really be the glyphosate that's making it toxic. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we don't know, really, is what it comes down to. And glyphosate has been grossly overlooked as a contributing factor. In so many cases, it makes me very angry when you look at the bees and the butterflies and and they study all these chemicals and they don't look at glyphosate because they think it's safe. But I think glyphosate's a major contributor to those crises with these different animals. Well, and the same would be said for humans. I mean, in terms of all of mm -hmm. your autoimmune problems that we're seeing, I mean, you've done some fantastic work uh, in highlighting these problems. Um, and, you know, obviously the argument is that uh, correlation isn't causation, but when you're... I know, <laughs> even when it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, when, you, when your p-values are where they're at, I mean, it's uh, most people don't uh, drive to the grocery store, get struck by lightning twice, stop it at the gas <laughs> station, win a lottery ticket and go home. So right. uh, at, what, at what point do you believe the statistics over uh, over what you see in, 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 in your front of your face? Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's an interesting story from the UK about uh, airline pilots from British Airways. Did you hear about that? That. Yes, I think it was four. So far, yes, yes. Four the, pilots the... died within a short period of each other, right after the vaccination campaign, and they can't—they're not letting us know whether all four of them were vaccinated or not. The guess is they probably were, or else they would have said that they weren't, right? So, but they—they uh, they died. They were relatively young. I think one was in his thirties. And airline pilots, uh, British Airways. British Airways is a leader in aviation biofuel. So these pilots are breathing aviation biofuel, glyphosate, I suspect they're breathing it in the toxic fumes from the um, engines. Interesting. Which is setting them up to fail because it's weakening their immune system, which is causing the vaccine to be more, uh, more severe. More pathogenic. Huh. And, and you said that glyphosate and diesel together seem to be a, a deadly combination. Yes, uh, now that was really interesting. I just found this one uh, case study about this guy who was trying to clean his, he had a, a glyphosate applicator and it got gummed up. And so he had it in, inside, he was trying to clean it and he was using um, the, uh, uh, what was it called? I forgot already. Um, <laughs> the bio, he was using the, the um, diesel. Sorry, yes. <laughs> I was trying to say biofuel. He was using diesel as a as a cleaning agent um, to dissolve to get the glyphosate cleaned off of his um, applicator, and he very quickly developed pneumonitis. He had, he had started coughing up blood. His lungs were just destroyed by that wow. in a very short time. So I think that the uh, diesel, you know, somehow enhancing the toxicity of the glyphosate. 
or acting as a surfactant maybe exactly messing up the lungs in such a way the glyphosate can get in because that's you know they add surfactants to the formulation for roundup and that makes the glyphosate much more toxic so i think it's a combination of the diesel fuel and the glyphosate that's really really deadly that's happening in the city where the um they're both in the nanoparticles in the air well, and of course, uh, jet fuel isn't that much different than diesel. I mean, it's essentially no, more, it's a very more refined product. So it's it's you, yeah. you can imagine that the two are probably very similar. I would think so. Yes. And then your research also on this subject also suggested that uh, propylene glycol and glycerol, um, which are obviously additives in e-cigarettes as thinners, um, the potential waste glyphosate in there could also be contributing to some of these uh, lung problems that we're witnessing there. Um, yeah. Polyeth or, or the propylene ethyl glycol, what is it? The PEG, the polyethylene uh, glycol, right? Ethylene glycol, which I would imagine is also potentially contaminated. Uh, I know. Is- I've been wondering about that, and I've been trying to figure that out. I haven't. I don't know whether it is, but if it is, then that's really serious too, right? Because that starts to think maybe there's glyphosate in these vaccines because they put polyethylene gly- gly- glycol PEG into the vaccines to stabilize the RNA. Yeah, I guess the, those nanolipid part, the nanolipid particles are actually within little globules of uh, uh, the propylene ethyl glycate. Is that is that correct? Yes, it's uh, it, it package it up with the with the RNA, and then they put in these lipids. They put in cholesterol. They put in the cationic lipid, which is an uh, and, and also a, a um, synthetic cationic lipid that they've very carefully figured out is the right one to do the job, which of course means that it's probably very toxic. <laughs> But it's also serving as a um, adjuvant, you know, to get the immune cells to come in. But it's also very, very um, toxic to the cells. That, that cationic lipid that's in the um, in the vaccine, yes. and then the PEG. And there are many, many people who have who have antibodies to PEG. They're allergic to PEG, and they're getting anaphylactic shock. I didn't mention that earlier, but that's another consequence of the vaccines. Lots and lots of cases of anaphylactic shock. Um, probably caused by the PEG. And it's possible there's glyphosate in there, who knows? We certainly have found glyphosate in other vaccines, so it would not be a surprise necessarily. Uh, Somebody uh, should look. I mean, and now you're getting those lipid nanoparticles that are moving into every, potentially every cell, passing through the cell membrane of all your tissues, and even a small amount of contamination with the glyphosate is going to have some deleterious effects there. Absolutely, yes. Well, well. So uh, in your opinion, then, Dr. Sanaf, should anyone in the, in the population be receiving one of these experimental vaccines? I'm terrified of them myself, so I would definitely say no. I don't think anyone would qualify. And the people who are most you know, susceptible to the virus are also going to be most susceptible to damage from the vaccine. And also the vaccine is not going to work for them because if your immune system is really weak, you won't even develop antibodies with the vaccine. So there's nobody who qualifies. Either you're so healthy you don't need it or you're so sick you can't handle it. And so there's nothing in between, you know. That's right. I think the vaccines yeah. are worse than useless. I mean, that's certainly my opinion. Yes. And, you know, again, here in Canada, we've had this uh, sort of little catchphrase of, uh, you know, vaccinating the most vulnerable first, which didn't make sense to me because as you, you know, just uh, illustrated, if you, if you are compromised, I mean, you certainly don't need anything more in your system to uh, increase your risk. Right. And we even further reduce your immune system capability for everything else. And and often they don't even make the antibodies because their system is so broken. Their body can't even make the antibodies in response to the vaccine. Well, I and guess even that... make the antibodies, they can't use them. So that ends up just setting up a perfect environment for the virus to adapt and, and turn into one of these variants that's resistant. That's a perfect setup where you vaccinate someone who has is immune compromised. I think you're asking for trouble as far as 
encouraging variants to appear that can resist the, the vaccine. That's interesting. That's interesting. So in your opinion, then, uh, in light of all the evidence to the contrary now, why do our public health agencies continue with this charade and continue to force the 75% of the population needs to be vaccinated mandate? <laughs> I wish I knew. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, I know there's money involved. Everyone's getting paid off, I think. People are making money and money speaks. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's so. If you follow the money at this point, right? It's that's probably the most overarching motivator of all these people at the top. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, any steps that you can recommend for people uh, to detoxify themselves and protect their bodies from the toxins in our environment in general? Well, I always say the same thing, which is eat a certified organic diet, hundred percent certified organic whole foods, not processed foods, get out in the sunlight without sunscreen, without sunglasses, eat high sulfur foods. Um, Sulfur is really, really important for your immune health as well as for your general health. That's my big thing, sulfur deficiency and sulfur. um, Impaired sulfur metabolism is something that I see as a central part of glyphosate's toxicity. So making sure you get lots of sulfur, um, maybe glycine um, rich foods to help compensate for glyphosate because glyphosate is a glycine analog and a lot of its mischief is caused by its pretending to be glycine. I talk a lot about that in my book. So glycine rich foods, sulfur rich foods, and of course, just generally nutrient dense foods, things with lots of minerals and vitamins like, you know, organic eggs, seafood, um, grass fed beef. These are all really, really healthy foods. Lots of um, cruciferous vegetables for the sulfur, but just generally herbs and spices you know, to get all these polyphenols and flavonoids, which are very helpful for your mitochondria. So um, generally just eating real food, uh, organically grown and getting out in the sunlight. Well, sounds sounds like you'll be able to do that quite easily in your present location. <laughs> That's true. We got lots of organic <laughs> farmers around here, which is yeah. awesome. So we eat well and we have lots of sun. So yes. Lots of good uh, tropical grass-fed beef as well. I always enjoy exactly. that. Exactly. Yes. I always enjoy right. the beef over there. Well, that's mm-hmm. excellent. So I guess that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Seneff. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, let's just give your uh, book, your upcoming book here, one more plug. Okay. Um, Hold it up again. <laughs> yeah. Toxic Legacy. Uh, and so that's going to be- July 1st. July 1st. Chelsea Green. Chelsea Green. Publishers July 1st. Yes. Okay. And I tried to simplify the science as much as possible. There's a lot of science in there, but I, I tried to provide background and um, say things in simple language when I could. So hopefully it's accessible to people who don't have a PhD in biology. <laughs> I tried to make it more accessible to the general public. Oh, that's great. And um, if uh, listeners would like to learn more about you, uh, direct them to your personal website. Yeah, stephaniesetif.net is a good place to start, I think. And I've been writing... Um, uh, blog posts there uh, recently. So I've got a few new blog posts that talk about the vaccine and things like that if you want to take a look. Stephanie And then it'll point you to my MIT page, which is more complex and also has a lot of, has, you know, many of my peer-reviewed published papers are are available from my website at MIT. Yeah, people could spend uh, a week or more or or (laughs) many weeks yeah, going through all that. There's a lot of information there. Okay, well, that's fantastic, um, ma'am. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, you keep thank well you up so there. Much. And uh, I'll get those. Uh, we'll do a little paper swap there when we get off. And yes, uh, that'll be fun. And uh, hopefully, we can communicate again here in the future, and we'll uh, maybe have some good news for some again. Folks. 
That'll be fun. Yes, hopefully some good news. I'm hoping that, you know, finally the governments will wake up and realize this is a bad idea and they'll stop doing it. I really believe that's going to happen. It's just a question of when, how much time, how much time, how much damage before that finally happens. Yeah, well, that, that's but, a, a good good message to end things on. It's a message of hope and uh, maybe we can turn this thing mm -hmm. around. Fantastic. Yes, it will be wonderful. Thank All right. You. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.